podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Welcome to episode 55 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast. Where this week, I'm delighted to say we are joined by fellow podcaster and Evertonian Max Carlisle. Max, welcome on to the Unholy Trinity podcast. Thank you very much. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm doing as good as one can after the event today. But we're, I just want to say uh, I'm really grateful to be asked to come onto the podcast. As you know, like I think what you've done in a, in a short space of time has been brilliant and yeah, there's definitely a market for it, and you're excellent at what you do. We, we, we appreciate that, mate, and I just want to inform everyone that we did not pay Max any kind of fee <laughs> for making that kind of opening comment, but we do appreciate your kind words, mate. Thanks a lot. But let, let, let's let's come to you first, because, as I said, you, you are a, a podcaster. Um, you've got your own podcast. You do some work for the Toffee Blues as well. And we were just mm-hmm. discussing off air, you, know, you, did a, you did a really good one, which is uh, one that we can probably... Or get on board with some more ladies with Clive Tilsey recently. Um, but just let's just let people know how, how did you get into doing the podcast yourself? What what sort of uh, tweaked your interest into getting involved with that kind of thing? Well, I've I've always been into them really from a young age. I'd say like up to like five years ago. Obviously, I think the, un, the undisputed king of podcasts is, is the Joe Rogan experience, and you know, strange, but. I turned to it for like news and, uh, and information, you know, the variety of guests that he manages to get on, uh, you know, a bit bizarre considering he's a, a stand-up comedian uh, along with all the other things that he is. But that is really, I think that's the sort of pinnacle of podcasting what I sort of aspire to emulate in a sense. And obviously I, I do quite want to focus on this as a, as a career, if it makes sense. So I got the opportunity to, start my own podcast at university. I go to UCFB, the Etihad, um, which is fantastic for getting up and running a, a career in the, the sports industry. And yeah, with, with that as the sort of the focal point of the podcast, it, it's been great to get the likes of, you know, Clive Tilley and so many other fantastic people within the sports industry on uh, and listen to the story. Because I think that's the that's the main part of it, really. The, the biggest motivation for it is the opportunity to speak to, to so many fascinating people uh, and hear the stories at the end of the day. Do you, do you, I mean, from from our side, and I know a lot of Everton sort of don't like the words fan media, but that, that's exactly what it is. A lot of Everton fan media outlets are, are very similar in, in the sense that the, the national coverage of, of Everton, we don't particularly like. We, we mm-hmm. feel it's very centred around certain teams and maybe certain regions within, within the country as well. Um, when it comes to your podcast, do, do you are you looking to do something a little bit different? Is the things that you listen to that you don't particularly like, and and, and you want to sort of make a change um, for the good? Should we say? Most definitely. I mean, I've certainly grown up around that. I'd say I'd go before even sort of pre-internet in a way, like the sort of the national newspaper coverage of Everton has always been highly scrutinised, uh, particularly in this part of the world, as you'll probably all well know. Um, and yeah, I mean. I am a bit sort of sceptical when it comes to fan media because there's so many people that sort of 
throw them under the same sort of umbrella, if that makes sense. So I think the fact that obviously I, I'll gladly do things like this, but to have my own sort of independent platform to sort of make it clear, clear that, you know, it, it is sort of in tune with career aspirations. And I do, to the best of my ability, well, most of them anyway, try and make them as professional as, as I can. Um, yeah, as, as I say, it's great. And, and again, I go back to the sort of main motivation of it all is to have a sort of long form platform to, to listen to people's stories and, you know, get what get what they've got to say out there. And for everyone who's listening today, just just give them a little um, a little note there as to where they can find your podcast and also your Twitter handle and things like that. Because as as I say, we we've listened to some uh, ourselves. I really enjoyed the Clyde Tildy one, uh, but there's there's loads loads out there for people to listen to, and um, and we, we do try and uh, retweet as well when we see them. But let everyone know what's what's your Twitter handle, where do you find your podcast, etc. Definitely, uh, I appreciate that, and um, me. Me, well, personal Twitter is Max underscore Carlisle. The Twitter for the podcast is Carlisle underscore podcast. You can find it on pretty much anywhere you get your podcast from. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I get them out on YouTube as well. And fingers crossed, over time, I'll be able to, to boost the production value and get sort of better audio visual podcasts out there too. Excellent. And we don't charge much money either as well. So in the future, you know, we, we can negotiate a decent fee for the three of us to, to appear. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Well, I, do, I do agree with you though, mate. On, sorry, mate. I, I do oh, agree with you on the Rogan podcast. I'm a big fan of his. He's been doing it way before podcasts were even a thing, wasn't he? He was doing it years and years and years ago. Uh, but, you know, he has some great guests on there. He's also a very intelligent guy himself. He's quite well spread, isn't he, in terms of what his knowledge is. But podcasts in general, I mean... It just boomed. It's just out of nowhere the last few years. It's crazy. I, I, it's hard to even put your finger on it because everything was sort of moving away to sort of audio, you know, more visual, wasn't it? And then podcasts were almost a bit of a throwback, obviously more audio based, obviously. So, you know, long may it continue because it's, I think a lot of people like to listen to it in cars, that sort of thing, don't they? It's just become a huge thing in the last few years. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the, the, the main points to raise when talking about podcasts as well is that. The market for those that can listen, as you say, is a hell of a lot bigger than mm. those that can read, for example. So I, I really do think in, in that sense, podcast is a, a big advantage in compared to, you know, print journalism or, or copy in general. Uh, I think over the last several years, there's been a notable decline uh, in that world. Yeah, that's I think, a good point, actually. But I think, that, like, like we said, I think that the media, national media, don't do themselves any favours, are they going to, unfortunately... When they when they do sort of go down various roads and, and covering, especially when it comes to football, various teams, players, managers, whatever it might be, in in a in a different light and a more favourable light, then you're going to lose people, and that's I think what we're seeing, and that's probably why we're seeing the likes, obviously yourself uh, doing podcasts ourselves, or the other fans around the country as well doing doing their own thing to try and get their own sides and their own interests that that little bit more a little bit more coverage. Um, but unfortunately, we're going to have to move away from having a, a nice, pleasant conversation to look back at, at today's uh, latest performance, if we can call it that, against Bournemouth. We we previewed this last weekend, and we, Lee, though you said, I think you predicted 3 all for, for this game. You said goals, and we certainly had goals, but unfortunately, uh, only one for ourselves and three for Bournemouth. And, and all in all, Pete, it, it was a, probably a game that epitomised what's been a, a very, very Below average season. 
Definitely. Well, absolutely. For me, it was sort of endemic of how we played football since we've come back after the lockdown, really. Um, particularly the first half, Bournemouth pressing us really, really high up the pitch with that sort of five-man press, sitting on Gomez and Davies who really struggled to get out. I think it was another game where Andre Gomez wasn't quite at the races. I think the role that Tom Davies has been asked to play is a bit, well, you know, to be fair, I think a little bit above him. Um, and we really struggled, I think, to play any football at all. I, I thought Moyes Keane... Um, was probably the, the best player for us in the first 45 minutes or even the best best over the first 60. Um, but we just couldn't get going at all. And I think psychologically, Bournemouth just had a lot more to play for for us didn't, uh, than us, didn't they? Yeah, and we said we said last week, didn't we, about this in, in terms of if Bournemouth had got something to play for, which they did do. Uh, I think, Lee, you mentioned, obviously, Watford are going to shift loads of goals against Man City, and they did, which which really put the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, so if they've got something to play for, it, it's going to be going to be a game. It's going to be end to end. It's going to be wide open. We thought that we'd have enough on the day to to actually win the game, um, but it, it shows how many weaknesses we've we've got in that sort of starting eleven and and the bench as well. Uh, and there's a lot of things that Carl needs to do in the transfer window to to address those issues, Max. Yeah, I will say, or I mean, in one of the few positives to take away from that game, yeah, I, I would 100% agree. It's indicative of how we played post-lockdown. You know, we've had nothing to play for and, and that's been quite visible in how we performed at times. But the opening 45 minutes, I thought, it, you know, I thought we played quite well. We were on the front foot looking to play. As you've highlighted, Moise Keane was most definitely our man of the match and you know, but yes, Gomez, uh, along with the rest of them, sort of trailed off in that second half and whatnot, but he seemed to be trying to get on the ball and, and impose things, play forward. We had a, a good couple of chances, um, obviously with the work that Keane was doing up front, he was allowing, you know, the likes of Richarlison and Walcott to, to you know, make space and get in, in behind. And again, we just lacked that finishing touch and they come down to... To bite us in the end, and I think obviously, as you said, as you mentioned, psychologically for Bournemouth, obviously there, there was that prospect that they may stay up. Pending results went their way, which wasn't to be, but you know they they fought and uh, conceding that goal uh, on half time uh, certainly did no favours. And like you said, there, I, th- I think sometimes we, we 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 do get carried away. We can get carried away as a fan base in terms of negatives. Of course, because we 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 over critique every single performance, and you know we look at last week against Sheffield United, and we we played probably probably our best game since lockdown. To be fair, really good win against a, a really tough side, and we thought we could carry that into into the Bournemouth game. But there was there was positives in that first half, especially most keen like the, like the two of you mentioned. It, it's the best probably I've seen him, uh, probably bar the Newcastle game when he was he was really lively in front of a pack Hudson Park, but he looked. Neat, tidy, strong, pacey. Obviously, got his got his goal as well. Um, but I think what what happens in with the match today again, the common scene. There's another example of, of media. Jamie Carragher, you know, not not particularly impartial at the best of times, but he he was using. He was saying it was the it was a worst performance in the Wolves game. Well, it quite clearly wasn't for me. The Wolves game was absolutely terrible. The worst I've seen was about ten years. Um, people listen to what, what those kind of people say and then take it all and bring it to social media 
and and obviously it goes from there. But there was in the first half a little bit of light, I thought, you know, on the counter we looked dangerous. It was just sometimes that that sort of decision making in the final third, as, as we've seen. But if I can have it, Moise Keane, to start with, really, and come to you, Lee, it was nice to see him, one, get a start, or two, impose himself on the game to give us a little bit of hope that next season he can kick on and become a much better player. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I've not been Moyes Keane's biggest fan, uh, particularly on, on, on this podcast as well. Uh, I know the lad's not been given a great great deal of opportunity in the team, but he's not shown me in anything, any of the cameos that he's played, that, oh my God, there's a real player here. If he could just do this or just do that, we could really get him. I just think he's really struggled to adapt to the Premier League, the pace of it. Um, uh, you know, also the, the physicality of it as well. Um, so that's why it was really, really pleasing to see that first half when we did actually finally stop messing around at the back and passing it around for the sake of it and put it in the channels. It was a bit where he ran down the left hand side. I think he was up against Rico, and he just shoulder shouldered him off. You know, obviously got his balance back. You know, shimmied a little bit and put a great ball in. I think it was initially meant for Sigerson, but obviously fell to Richardson. So that's classic. That's classic forward hold up play, isn't it? You know, almost chasing a semi-lost cause and obviously winning it, um, and then you know creating creating half a chance. Uh, and he showed some neat feet as well. He, he he always seems to have a little trick in his. But sometimes he overdoes it. But at least you know I don't mind that. I don't mind him trying things. You know what I mean? Don't mind him trying to express his talent. He's just got to try and use it in the right areas. Um, but yeah, you know, in terms of a little cameo, it was pleasing to see. And he obviously got his goal as well. Um, I'm glad they didn't disallow it for VAR. I'm just waiting for him to be like half a toenail offside or something like that. But um, <laughs> it's great to see he got his goal. But um, going back to Carragher's comments, I, I, I thought he was massively over harsh. I mean, Carragher, to be fair to him, on a lot of the times he does commentate or co-commentate on the games, he's been accused by obviously the other side of being too pro Everton, and obviously he gets accused of being obviously obviously he was a blue. And normally, I, I've always found him to be you know, reasonably. Um, positive about Everton looking where you know where we're looking to go with the club etc and how we need the new stadium and all that that sort of thing so it was quite strange to hear him being so so negative like it was overtly negative wasn't it it was like literally this is dread this is what are they doing here and you know, all these like comments he was coming out with I thought it was massively over the top I thought Bournemouth came out the traps three up front caused us all sorts of problems King down the left hand side especially gave Coleman a hell of a game He's absolutely rapid, isn't he? I mean, he, we struggled to contain him. Uh, so they were, they, you know, they, they were fighting for the lives. Of course, they were going to come out of the blocks. Once we saw that off and got the equaliser, we looked like the better side. And then, like Max just said, then we just conceded at the worst time because going in at 1-1, I think I text you guys and said, look, I can see these dropping off here because they're going to try and, you know, basically hold what they've got. Um, and, you know, we were, again, we were again the dominant side in the second half. Without really creating a great deal, I felt we were going to get, probably get the next goal. And obviously, you know, Jordan goes and throws throws one into his own net uh, and, and finishes the game. But it was a weird game. But, you know, I, I was kind of hoping Bournemouth would stay up weirdly as well. Quite like Eddie Howe. We talked about that last week. He is an Evertonian. I like the way he plays. I like his philosophy of football. And unfortunately, after five years, you know, They've not really backed him loads, have they? And unfortunately, it's, you know, they've finally got their comeuppance, haven't they? I don't know. He, he, he spent big money on 
average players though, hasn't he, over the years? You look at like Joe, like Jordan yeah. Ive and Solanke and, and people For like that. For a club that. size they are, it's relative, isn't it? They've spent a reasonable amount. But I just I just like the way they play. I like I like the fact that this is my philosophy and we're going to play this way. You know, he's not going to try and, you know, win 1-0 every week like Sean Dyche. You know what I mean? I mean, well, I, I, yeah, I, I agree to an extent, but I, I think I think Bournemouth's time is open. Um, they've got a few, they've got a few talented players there. I, I said like last year, uh, last pre-season, Josh King was one. I would have looked at for Everton to bring in. I thought at the time he was probably just at the at the tail end of that right age bracket. Uh, I don't think we would go and get him now, even though they've gone down. But I think he, he was someone who we could have brought in. He probably would have scored us maybe ten or twelve goals this season, but he's got that pace, he's got that power. He's been a Premier League striker for a few years, and, and someone who can, who can do a bit of damage as he as he showed today. But you, you mentioned there, and I was going to leave this up later on, but you brought it up, Lee. So let's let's talk about it now. Jordan Pickford. Um, we mentioned. I'm sick and tired of discussing Jordan Pickford to be honest, because we every week we seem to have to have to bring him up. And I thought today it was going to be for that save he made in the first half, which was a great save and. I said at the time, great save by Jordan Pickford, and and that that's Pickford all over. Instincts are very very good as a shot stopper. In close range is very very good, and then you see the third goal, and I'm not being funny. I could have dived and caught that, and and that is that is concentration for me, not lack of ability, concentration, which is costing us time and again, and potentially Pete, it's 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 time for Pickford to be moved on, isn't it? Well. 30 seconds after that goal went in today and it's not the first goal of that ilk either that he's let in as he you know there's been a couple that have sort of slipped under his body where he's often come out as an he post-match and said um you know whatever my foot got caught or went I went down a bit too late or whatever the excuse is but you know professional goalkeeper at that level should never be letting in a goal like that about 30 seconds after mate of mine texted me uh and it was an interesting interesting point really he said Lurzel lets in less goals per season than Jordan Pickford if he's in goal for Everton. And I couldn't argue back with it. I, I, I think sad, I think sad state of affairs, isn't it? Isn't it just? It, it is sad because, obviously, he's gone back to Huddersfield on loan, um, Lazel, and, and that, for me, is probably his level. But then you've got England's number one goalkeeper in Jordan Pickford, who should be saving you maybe 10 points a season. And instead, you could argue he's costing us maybe five or six points a season. What, 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 what's your, what's your thoughts, Max? Because obviously, we, we've discussed Pickford at length uh, at various times over the course of the season. There's times when you know we, we've we've backed them, and sometimes the mistakes that he makes are, are sort of indefensible. And and today was another example of that, wasn't it? Yes, but at the same time, I'd just like to take you back to you know toward the tail end of Tim Howard's time at, at Everton Football Club. Obviously, you know, we've been at Everton for a long time and obviously, again, an international shot stopper and was exceptionally good at his peak. But, I mean, you could argue it was a, he was overused by Roberto Martinez towards the end there and, you know, it certainly showed in, in, in some of the errors that, that led to goals and, and whatnot and that sort of provoked a, a volatile reaction for, from the fan base. So, Again, I mean, it goes back to the the point of issue with the fan base and how we seem to be quite a, a volatile and uh, hesitate to say negative, but sort of trigger-happy fan base in a sense. I I think I'll always be in the uh, in the Jordan Pickford camp, if, if I'm being honest with you. I think when, when Tim Howard left, 
we were just in a position where I don't know, like I, I, we're not gonna we're not gonna be attracting a, a Mark Andre Ter Stegen, or we're not gonna be attracting a Jan Oblak or or someone of a you know an elite ilk to get Pickford as we did, which I think is turned out. Especially if you consider his first season when he came in, how dire that turned out to be, and he obviously ended up being player of the season that year. I think value for money wise, thirty million, not bad. He's obviously gone on to to be England's number one goalkeeper, who certainly in my time of watching England goalkeepers always come under scrutiny as it is from national media. You know, Paul Robertson, David James, you know, a lot of them seem to get increased sort of media coverage on them. Um, and that certainly just seems to be the case with Pickford. I know I'm not forgiven the the points that he has been costing us because, yeah, it, it has proved costly. But at the same time, I do, again, I sort of reiterate my point that I just don't think the current position that Everton Football Club are in, I just genuinely don't think we could do better in terms of getting someone in between the sticks. I think it's an issue in terms of that comes in now, Pete. Pete Sam was up there for those listening. Pete was dying to get in there. But I think with, with Pickford, the disappointing thing was when, when we got him, he was my pick to go and get. I said, yeah, I'll have him every single day of the week. I think I thought he was exceptional. Even in the, in the Sunderland side, I got relegated. He was a standout, especially for his age as well. He came in, first season, exceptional. What, what a first season. As you say, one player of the season. I thought his distribution was exceptional. Um, I think... You know, yeah, we've seen we've seen mistakes. All goalkeepers make mistakes. I'm a I'm a goalkeeper. I'm in the goalkeepers union. I'm a, I'm a paid up member, and I give goalkeepers the benefit of the doubt all the time because it's the it's the position which is under scrutiny more than any position in football. There's only one goalkeeper, and if you make a mistake, generally it leads to a goal. I've I've always said it. I think that the concern I've got with with Pickford is you would think with him getting older that he would mature into uh, a more reliable goalkeeper and, and that concentration so the things that we were seeing at Newcastle when he was pulling tongues and getting carried away and you know was losing the game and those kind of things where he gets sucked into the crowd around him I thought that we would stop seeing that kind of thing but we're still now since since probably you know the, the return of football we've probably seen things a little bit more and he's got away with things as well don't forget there was, there was a Delester one where it was rolling back towards the line because he's been under yeah. his body and then Keane runs back and knocks it away and there's been things that have gone on you know when he's, he was pulling tongues at the camera and stuff like that against Wolves and you just think to yourself you know are you ever going to mature into this keeper this world class keeper that arguably his ability um, would say that, that, he, that he should be getting to but I don't know. I think maybe, I think with, with Pickford, unfortunately, the concern is what we sell and what will we get for him? That's the first thing. And secondly, who could we get in for, say, 20 million, 25 million, who'd do a better job? What, what are your thoughts there? Because you, say, you were dying to jump in there, weren't you? I was, because I, I completely agree with the principle that, you know, when you go to the game or when you watch it, watching Everton on telly or whatever, you've got to support the players that are wearing the shirt. You know, completely get that. And I, I do agree. Sometimes fans are too quick to jump on certain players' backs, and you know, we all we all know who the select sort of two or three are, and people go through phases, don't they? Michael Keane, you know, has uh, has gone through a couple of phases of being you know really targeted by fans, probably to the detriment of his performances. But I think with Pickford, number one. Carl Ancelotti's come out 
and has you know verbally sort of criticised the player, hasn't he, openly in the media. And I think when that happens, I think you're already on borrowed time. I, you know, that, that's Ancelotti, isn't it, making a really clear statement that this needs to change or he's not going to continue to be at Everton. The second thing is, according to Opta, there's no player in the Premier League. So I'm not just talking goalkeeper, we're talking, you know, outfield players, uh, sorry, outfield players as well. There's no player in the Premier League who's made more errors leading to goals in the past two seasons than Jordan Pickford. So, you know, again, for me, he's he's way past borrowed time. I mean, for me, I think, I think I've seen enough because I, I think point three is surely this filters through to the back four. You know, if you're playing in front of Jordan Pickford, how do you have confidence in him when you know at some point in the match he's, he's likely to make an error? How do you have confidence in him? You know, when the ball's coming into the box and, uh, you know, when you're receiving off him, how, how do you have faith in him? And, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying there's no way back for him, but I think it's, it really is make or break time for him. What what are you thinking, Leon? Because as I say, we have discussed him at length before. I don't really want to dwell on Pickford, but it, we we find it difficult to ignore him uh, because today again, from the sublime in the first half to to the ridiculous in the second half, it's it's hard to not discuss him um, in terms of a potential transfer out. When really, you know, as in the number one, he should be the one position in that side for me that's guaranteed and nailed on to be staying at the club. Well, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you've just nailed it there from the sublime to the ridiculous. That save in the first half and nil-nil was a phenomenal save. Um, you know, gets his hand up when the, the, the lads try to dink him. Strong right hand. Uh, and you're thinking, what a save that is. And then, you know, half an hour later, 40 minutes later, whatever it was, Stanislas lads gets his customary goal against it. And, and like you said, Mike, it, it was, you know, he's trying to bend it far corner on restyle. He's obviously completely put, he's just put it down the middle, basically. He's got to save that all day. You could almost see the body language, but you could see the body language in the players of just like three-one game over now. I mean, I'm not, that's not the right attitude to have as a team, but you could almost just see. Obviously, everyone's just like, "How's that gone in? How's he scored from there?" Um, and for me, those stats are quite damning. P that stat there, the Opta stat, and one of Pixar's strengths when he first came to us, and I do agree with you there, Max. I think first season he was a breath of fresh air. You know, not only is he making good saves, but his kicking was phenomenal. He was hitting those little side volleys, cutting across it, you know, starting our attacks, you know, a lot of the time. He seems to have cut a lot of that out. Um, and, you know, what was a strength for him now is almost kind of like, you know, is it becoming a bit of a weakness? We were trying to play out from the back today. And not once did I feel like we're in total control here. You know, I'm not saying he's anywhere near Edison who's spraying balls like, you know, like a, like a left-footed version of De Bruyne. But, like, you know, keepers have got to be really, really good with their feet nowadays. And he's almost regressed a little bit in that area. He's almost like he doesn't back himself as much anymore. You know what I mean? There's times there where we were, we could see, I think Carragher even said it, to be fair to him. There was five of them that were honoured. You know, there's times there where he should have just said, look, forget it now. I'm just going to kick it. The thing is, he announced to everyone he was going to go long. So they just dropped off. You know, instead of just saying, like, look, you still come in and look like we're going to go short, then I'll go long. And, you know, it's just little things like that, thinking, well, if you're a top keeper, you should read that situation and think, we're giving it away here, trying to play out from the back. They're really pressing us. Right, let's just go long a few times here now and try and win, try and win the second ball. And just make little decisions like that as well. Take ownership of it. You know, because, you know, let's be fair, we all watch the game. 
I just thought they're, they're going to score from this sooner or later if we carry on playing out from the back. You know, I'm not saying we, you know he's passing it to the likes of Maldini and people like that. He's passing it to to obviously to, you know to, to Keane, but you know what I'm trying to say is what once a, was a strength for him has almost become a little bit of a you know a weakness. And these errors now are just it's hard not to ignore. Like you said, mate, you know it does get highlighted, and I just think. Of all, we, we said it briefly uh, on the podcast the other week. Of all our saleable assets where we could get a decent amount of dollar for, you know, the likes of Luca Dean, the likes of Richarlison, people like that. He's probably, if you're going to, if you're going to be brutally honest, he's probably our most saleable asset that you probably wouldn't be as bothered about if he did go. Obviously, providing obviously we did get someone in that was half decent. Um, so. It's a conundrum, you know. What 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 shouldn't be a conundrum? Because you've got other areas to focus on. Could end up being, you know, potentially. Would you be surprised if you went in the summer? Put it that way. I don't think many fans would, would they? No, I don't think I don't think many fans would would sort of cry about it either. You know, we're we're going to come on and talk about a player who, who we're all attached to in, in Leighton Baines very very shortly. But you know, Jordan Pickford unfortunately has never been and never going to be that kind of player that that the fans I don't think really get on board with. One reason, you know, Max said, you know, we, we, we as a fan base, I think we are very critical because we're, we're striving on success, of course we do. Uh, the goalkeeping position is which we hold from the day to our heart after having the best in the world in Neville Southall. We've had good goalkeepers over the years. Nigel Martin, obviously a very good goalkeeper. Tim Howard in, it, in his probably bad last maybe 18 months, two years, was a very good goalkeeper. So we we've had we've had some very very good goalkeepers over the year over the years and Jordan Pickford was was one of them again and his first season he showed that and, and we know what he's all about you know as I say his instincts in terms of shot stop I think are very very good from from a close range you know that that save there showed it again today but until you know he addresses the concentration issues I don't think he's ever gonna gonna improve and whether he can do that now anyway you know as he's getting older. He doesn't appear to be able to to concentrate for ninety minutes. I don't know whether we'll see a better Jordan Pickford than we're seeing at this moment in time. Anyway, so I don't know. You know, the, the summer will dictate how that goes. Um, but what, what what are you thinking, Max? I just sort of like to to go off a point that that Lee raised that about the the playing off in the back. In that, I think this expands out to to a broader point in the sort of the stylistic matchup of the entire team. I feel, I feel like Everton over the past, what, five years or so and, and the recruitment are, uh, and all the sorts of sub-facets that go into, you know, the, the end product that you end up seeing on the pitch. I feel like at times it, it's square pegs and round holes. And, you know, as, as you said, and rightly so, it, one of the key attributes of Jordan Pickford is his distribution, his ability to look up, side volley, pick out, you know, is it pick out whoever he wants, breaking away on the counter attack? He's always been exceptionally good at that. Um, and now I think it, uh, I'm lost on, on what game it was, but when he tried to pick out Bernard when we were doing quite poorly, like again, I just don't feel like it um, stylistically. I don't think it plays into his hands. Um, and I think you could make the same point about the defence. Uh, yes, I understand. I don't think the, the defence would have full confidence in Jordan Pickford, but I think that works both ways. At the same I, time, I, I think you're right in, in, in that. I, I totally agree. You know, it's not just the case of let's all pick on Jordan Pickford. Of course, there's, there's certain positions within that side 
that need to be addressed. And, you know, I don't think Michael Keane's particularly a, a ball playing centre half. Uh, Jared Brantface, very, very young and raw. I thought he was decent again today, caught out a couple of times, but we said it. The kids going to have good games, i.e., Sheffield United. You have average games, i.e., today. He's a young kid, it's going to happen, but he looks like he's going to become a decent centre half. Seamus Coleman, it's looked his age today. It's, it's happened a few times. He looks great one weekend again. Off the boil when he's against someone a little bit quicker. Um, and then obviously you've got a, a decent footballer there in, in Luca Dean. So there's definitely positions there to be addressed. And like like you say, maybe Pickford hasn't got the confidence in his sense of half and they haven't got the confidence in him. It's it's unfortunately it's it's a vicious circle and, and these are the things which Carlo is going to need to address, unfortunately, over the summer. Um and I think Carlo's Carlo's comments post match today are probably quite telling. Um the interview that he gave he said that he'd spoken, obviously, to the to the players in the dressing room after the game. And and the comment that I, I want to sort of hang on, really, is he said, I said to the players who were coming back, come back with more motivation and more ambition. Um, now, that, that for me is very, very telling. One, suggesting that there's going to be quite a few players in that dressing room today who won't be there next season. And two... He mentioned it again that he felt that we lost the game today because of a lack of motivation, um, and we need to change the mentality to become become more ambitious. What, what, what are you taking from that piece? What, what are your thoughts on what Carlo said? I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to be the, <laughs> the the negative one among us, but I, don't, I never do, normally do a good job of it. But it's quite damning for me. You know, it's quite damning that he's had to go into that dressing room last day of the season and you know mention to the players that they need to come back with. Um, you know, more to give. And, you know, I guess when you look at what the club's been through over the season, you know, three different managers and we've been terribly unlucky with injuries, you know, the, the you know, the the virus pandemic that's meant the players have had to, you know, they're not at the, the benefit of the fans. We've got, you know, the best fans in the world. Yeah, all, all of that will have played a part. But, yeah, the fact the managers had to turn around to the players and, you know, question the motivation for me is, you know, that that's always like the prerequisite for playing for Everton, isn't it? Um, you know, that, that should be a given. So, in the nicest possible way, I, I hope some of them aren't there um, at the start, at the start of the new season. I mean, he, he made some comments in the week, didn't he? He said there wouldn't be a revolution over the summer, but the summer would be uh, an, an evolution for Everton. Um and you, you try not to get your hopes up as an Everton fan. But for me, it, yeah, that feels promising. And we've been linked, again, for me, with the right sort of players. Um, you know, dynamic, ball-winning centre midfielders that can use the ball well. Um, so I'm hopeful. I mean, as fans, we get, we get carried away, don't we, in terms of what, what the noise is coming out of the club. Actually, Obviously, we hang off every minute that Carlo says and... We make our own minds up on what they actually mean, but like you say, the the use of the word evolution um, is quite quite an important word. That word, and that can mean many things. That can mean we're going to see a lot of personnel changes um, in terms of a lot of players coming in or, or better quality coming in. It could mean a lot of players are going out, and it could mean that we're going to use more younger players. Only the only people who know it, uh, Carlo, uh, Carlo and Marcel Brands. Uh, but what, what were you going to say then, Liam? Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, the one benefit of this post-lockdown 
uh, part of the season. It's obviously not been ideal, Pete's right. I mean, it's, you know, football without the fans and everything else and all that, but obviously we've had to finish the season. But one benefit for Carlo of doing that, it's almost giving him almost like an extended pre-season going into next season to have a real look at these players. You know what I mean? And, and he's even come out and said it himself, hasn't he? You know, you know, he knows he knows full well now which one of those which of those players have got a the talent and b the attitude to carry on to be and be part of his team going forward. Uh, part of it, part of it is some people have got the talent and just haven't just haven't got the attitude, and some people haven't got the talent. You know, dare I say it? You know, Davis looked looked a bit out of his depth today, didn't he? And 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 you know, Gomez has had to play alongside him in midfield, and, and like Pete just alluded to there, the sooner the sooner we get you know. An aggressive ball winner in there, likes if you know maybe your Hoybergs or your Allens that we've been linked with this week, you know the, the better it will be for this team completely. You know that midfield has really suffered this season, particularly obviously the last last dozen games. Um, and like I alluded to the other week, you know he definitely would have had a look at Gabamin in this period as well. And it's such a shame that the poor lad got injured because we would have had a real look at him for probably six or seven games there to see whether we did need to sign anyone um, next season. And now, obviously, with the injury he's got, we're going to have to. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I just wanted to make that point, saying that by evolution, I think he means, look, we're going to have to take small steps here. This is not going to be a revolution. And by that, I think what he means is, look, don't expect nine to go and nine to come in. And I think that's detrimental to the team as well. We've been, you know, you can't do that. There's no way you can do that. You know, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to bed more than five or six players in at once, particularly if, the, if you know if they're looking to get into the first team. So I think it'll be a handful of players that'll go. You know, we don't need to go through those names, and I think there'll be a handful that'll come in. Uh, I think that's what he means by by evolution. And as fans, we have to we have to be patient with this. You know, if we end up finishing maybe eighth, ninth, tenth next season, you know, as horrible as that is, we have to accept that you know, we, we've got to give time to build this. It's not going to happen overnight, is it? And Max just said it himself. We've had too many managers come and go, so therefore we've got a system. You know, we've got players to play certain systems. It's square pegs, round holes. We can't keep on doing that. Carlo has to be given now, like we said, three or four years to build this team going into the new stadium. Max, what are your thoughts on that? Are you are you all in for the for the patience game? We we've been preaching patience since we started this podcast. To be honest with you, even you know, Marco Silva and. Obviously, uh, when when Carlos uh, come in, etc. But it, you know, is it a case of as Evertonians, regardless of the mind of being Carlo Ancelotti, Marco Silva, Duncan Ferguson, whoever, we've got to start showing a bit of patience. Yeah, I, th- I think that's an element of it. I, I wouldn't say. I, th- I think uh, as as match going football fans, you are well within your right to have expectations of the football team that you pay well earn money to go and watch but I think on the, on the professional side of things appointing Carlo Ancelotti as the manager of your football club is that sort of rallying cry of right now time to, to show ambition uh, you know this man just reeks of prestige uh, and calibre I don't think when when he's had one full season at a club, I don't think he's finished bottom half. Uh, I might go as far as to say outside of the top six. But again, that just goes to to speak of, of his expectations of the of the squad that he's dealing with. Now, I know his spell at Bayern Munich didn't go as well as he might possibly like. That I know, obviously, the his time at Napoli 
came to a quite a strange end. But at the same time, I think what this football club exactly needed uh, and the players in the dressing room exactly needed was someone of that sort of calibre. Someone who just commands respect. Because, you know, if you look at the, the, the past managerial appointments and the systems or, or director of football systems that have been put in place, they could very well have been overlooked by the players in the dressing room. Um, and again, goes back to my point about the recruitment is that stylistically it is all a bit mismatched and I am hoping soon to to speak to the ask about the, the current situation surrounding financial fair play because I know um, that may be alleviated to some extent because of the pandemic but still, yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing a complete sort of revolution um, and it's sort of a, a similar situation that we've been in years prior in that we still got a fair bit of dead wood to shift that may not necessarily be attractive to, you know, buying clubs out there. And some of these players are on a high wage and that puts us in, in quite a sticky situation. I think obviously since he's come in now, we've established several players who the team can very well be built around. The likes of Lucas Dinia. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison. And again, this sort of leaves a big sort of gap in the midfield where, you know, you would expect the football team to command the play and control the game. For me, one of the best players over the, the last couple of years that I've seen play for us is Adrissa Garnagay. And there was no chance that you could deny him that opportunity to go and play for, for Paris Saint-Germain, where he's winning things for fun and he's still in contention for... The, uh, the Champions League but at the same time we find ourselves in a position now where we're exactly we're after a player who fits his profile exactly again and yet the the Jubaman scenario uh, and is, un- is, is unfortunate you know make no two ways about it. it it's really sad that he's suffering so many injury problems but again I think that comes full circle to Recruitment. I think it's indicative of um, just poor recruitment. But also brands, mate. Brand brands. Since he's been in the club, when I read some of the other day, he's been involved in like eighty transfers. Something mad like that. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. Incomings and outgoings. He's been involved in 80 80 odd transfers already. Uh, Obviously, some of those that have come in, you know, uh, as we all know, have not have not worked out, but. That's nuts for someone. You know, you can hardly say he's, he's not been busy, has he? He's had to ship a load out as well, and obviously trying to sort loans for people, the young lads, things like that as well. It's this is a massive project. It's massive. I think Carlo, if he didn't know that before, he certainly does now, doesn't he? You know, I haven't seen this team play. We we said this. We said this a couple of weeks ago. If, if you can't get motivated to play for Carlo Ancelotti, ball's not your game, is it? And I think the, these games was it nine games um, that we played since we've since we've come back. It's as you said, it's been like a mini preseason almost. And Carlo has now got a very very good idea of one who wants to be there and two who's good enough to be there because certainly to, today and in many many games that have gone before that since we since we come back, you know, the likes of the Wolves game, Spurs, etc. A lot of a lot of those players have not shown anything to suggest that they they could and should be part of 
of this this side evolving going forward and, and unfortunately there, there is and, and you said it Max there's a lot of de- dead wood there to try and chip out which is for me probably going to be a bigger problem this summer than getting in the, the right personnel because we're going to have to use that money that's brought in to reinvest back into the side to get better quality so not as many numbers but better quality and that's that's the biggest thing that we, that we need to tackle this summer um, but Moving forward onto onto the summer, etc. What one player who is not going to be there, and unfortunately so for for all of us, I'm sure uh, it was announced after today's game that Leighton Baines is, is retiring from football, so he will not be not be at the club as a player next season. Um, there was there was murmuring sort of last night that that um, he wasn't going to be signing, whether that was going to be retiring or going to be moving somewhere else. But I will start by saying. Leighton Baines is potentially the best player I've seen at Everton Football Club in my time watching the side. I don't know what everyone else's thoughts are, but he's a massive, massive loss to that side, even at the age of, of 35, Pete. Yeah, absolutely. I struggle to think of anyone I've seen uh, playing an Everton shirt in the Premier League era you know, more consistently to such a high level. You know, you'd get minimum 8 out of 10 uh, from him every week. And when you look at you know you look at his record, you look at his not just his goals, but his assists. He's right up there, you know, amongst the likes of you know John Terry and Ashley Cole. Um, he's he owes the club nothing, um, you know, and we we owe him everything. And I'm absolutely gutted that he wasn't able to uh, you know to win a trophy. I know we had a, a few nearly moments, um, and I just hope that at some point he. Yeah, he does come back to the club in some capacity and um, he's able to, you know, enjoy the success he deserves through a, a slightly different route. Lee, what are your thoughts on, on Leighton Baines and him, him leaving the club today? I'm absolutely devastated, mate. I'm absolutely devastated. I absolutely love him. I think he's been my favourite player, uh, certainly, you know, in the time he's been at the club, possibly since... I've been following the Blues. He's, he's just an absolute model professional. Great shape. Look at the shape he's in. I can't even believe he's retiring now. He could easily play for me for another two years at this level. I know he's lost a little bit. Of... And then? Look at his hair. His hair's too good to retire from football. <laughs> <laughs> great, 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 great hair. But no, I just think he could easily, I mean, he's just, he makes the game look easy. Good sports people. Top sports people make the game look easy, and you know this, I could probably count on one hand the amount of times he's given the ball away unnecessarily when you go and watch him. You know, he, he always seems to have time. He always seems to make the right decision. You know that 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 period he had with with with, um, with uh, Pienaar. I mean, some of the footy there was majestic, wasn't it? I mean, both of them, both intelligent footballers, both of them technically very good. You know, and some of the some of the moves they put together. I mean, we used to destroy teams down that side, um, and you know, it, it's it's a shame. Obviously, look, Dean came in, and we were all like, "There's no way he's going to take that place off late." And he'll give him competition. Obviously, he, it shows you how good Luca Dean was. That like, he obviously got in the side after a few games, and he's never given up his place. Um, and that's the biggest compliment you can pay him, really, um, Luca Dean, in that respect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm just gutted he's retiring. Really, if he does come back to the club. I know Carlo hasn't he? Hasn't he reportedly offered him like a, you know a role in a coaching capacity or something like that? Hasn't he? 
Yeah, apparently so. Apparently, he, he said he's going to speak to him. Um, that, I think that's always been on the table. They, they, they want him to, to stay at the club in some kind of capacity. Uh, I'd have him in goal at the Jordan Pickford, to be honest, but that, that's another story. Um, but he's but, an intelligent player, isn't he? He's a sort of player yeah. that, like Arteta's gone on to be, you can see he's going to be an intelligent coach. You know, he, he's, I can see Leighton, um, you know, potentially, even if he does stay in the game, he, even potentially being a coach himself, maybe, but you know, what a player he's been for us. You know, obviously different generations will say uh, Wilson was a better left-back, but certainly as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure as far as we're concerned, Everson's best ever left-back. One thing I would say, though, I was going to ask you a lot. Um, would you say at, at peak, would you say he was world-class? Yeah. Yeah? World-class? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think what, what I'd say... It's a big statement is... in it, world-class. Like, you know, but he was definitely top, probably you know, top two or three left backs in Europe at one point, wasn't he? Alongside yeah, I mean, you know, like the Marcellos and people like that. I mean, Carlo alluded to the fact after the game today. He said, you know, he was, he was one of the best in Europe at his peak. Of course, he wasn't. Let Let's get it right. You know, he he came through and was at his peak as a left back at the same time as one of England's best ever left backs in, in Ashley Cole. I personally think Leighton Baines is a better left back. I'll be honest, I just think his all-round game was better. Didn't get he the opportunity. He was better going forward, wasn't he? He's definitely I just, better going forward. I just thought he was a better left back and people can call me biased or what have you. But he didn't get the opportunities for England because of the club that he played for. That is, It's that simple. We see it time and again with certain players. If he was in one of the the so-called um, at the time Sky Four, if you like those those are those original sort of Champions League qualifying clubs in in this country. He gets a lot more caps for England. He, he put together about 30, thirty caps, was it around thirty caps for his country? 30, yeah. You know the the fella, the fella played four hundred and twenty times for Everton. He, he scored thirty nine goals and 60, 67 assists for a left back. It's absolutely sensational. I don't care what anyone says. Part of one of the best left-hand sides, I thought, for, for at least one or two seasons in the Premier League. I thought him and Pienaar, Neville said that, that he retired because of them two. That game of Goodison Park that time because of Pienaar and Baines, they were that good together. He doesn't get the, the accolades that he deserves. He doesn't get the applause he deserves. And that's just because of, of, who, of who he plays for. Um, but what, what, I'd, what I'd ask you all is, and I'll come to you first, Max, what, what's your, what's your favourite memory of Leighton Baines at Everton. <clears throat> Favourite memory. That's a that's a that's a hard one to pick. To be fair, because it depends what you're going off. As you as you sort of outline there, so, I think you've been involved in more goals and assists than any other Premier League defender. So you could you know you could pick 35 yard screamer against Newcastle at St James's. You know the two free kicks at West Ham. But for me. Maybe because it was one of the favorite, one of my favorite games that I got the chance to be there and attend was when he capped on the side against Arsenal, um, when we absolutely battered them three 0 and for Leighton Baines as an individual, you know, he can be characterized as being, you know, an introvert, keeps to himself. I think it's part of the reason why he's endeared himself so much to us as a, as a fan group, but. For that afternoon against Arsenal, particularly, you know, the the incident that comes to mind is when he's in the face of Mikel Arteta, wagging the finger and get you know, getting in his face, being a true captain. Like for me, that that really sticks out as my favourite Leighton Baines memory. And just to say, 
I was absolutely devastated, obviously, to 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 get that sort of news that that he retired and not not the right circumstances for a player of his quality at all to retire. I don't think his career did him justice as a as a player. He could have easily gone on and won, you know, leagues, Champions Leagues, earned over a hundred grand a week wherever he wanted to go. Was most definitely in the the top left backs in the world during his prime and. You know, one of the points I think I'd like to make is that if, you know, roles were reversed and Leighton Baines was in a side that was winning title after title as Ashley Cole was, I think the uh, the consensus for you would be that Leighton Baines was better than Ashley Cole. I 100% agree. And people will argue that, of course, but like 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 you said, like I've said, it's all down to, to the side that you play for. And the opportunities that you're exposed to, and it's an absolute travesty that in his in his 13 years at the club, he didn't win a trophy. I think that's that's an absolute travesty, yeah, and and, so. a and a disgrace for for our club. To be honest with you, we've gone so long and not winning anything. But Pete, Pete, what's your favourite Leighton Baines memory? Yeah, Max named it. Um, there's so many, isn't there? So many, but for me, it's the West Ham away, uh, the two free kicks because they're just perfect. It was just an example. Leighton Baines puts the ball where Leighton Baines wants. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was the context of the game as well, you know, to, to come back and win. Uh, it was 3 2, wasn't it, I think? Mm. Yeah. Well, Lukaku's uh, yeah. got to win it, didn't he? Lukaku's got to win it. He got knocked out at the same time, didn't he? Well, when he scored. And then Leighton Baines bought an ice cream outside from Mr. Whippy. Outside <laughs> of the park. And he in his, in his taxi. That was the same game, wasn't it? Just that, that, but that's what he's all about. There was nothing Baines all over. You know, he, he, he's just there. He's a footballer and he doesn't want any of the fame. Um, I don't think he really probably wants any of any of the, the money that he gets. He doesn't want any of the exposure. It's It was his job. He was very good at it. And luckily for us, he, he was our left back for a long, long time. For me, favourite memory? Um, well, there's, there's loads and you've named a few there. Um, I just love the fact when he used to get on the plane with England and everyone else had their Louis Vuitton wash bags and he walked on with his guitar. That was good enough for me. <laughs> uh, he's probably possibly one of the coolest footballers out there as well, isn't he? Um, but no, um, yeah, the free kicks against West Ham was awesome. I I, I remember um, one of my favourite... Do you remember the free kick against Chelsea in the last minute of extra time? Yeah. That, for me, was a proper limbs moment, that, wasn't it? Because, obviously, the game was dead tight. Chelsea had beaten us, hadn't they, in the final? Was it the year before, I think? Um, and, obviously, we'd gone to their place and we were all like, well, Chelsea away fourth round. Not exactly, you know, your prime draw. And uh, it was a hell of a game, really tense game. I think Lampard put them ahead. Uh, Lampard's another one, like Stanislas always seems to score against us. But uh, Baines popped up there with that free kick. Um, and it just went absolutely nuts, didn't it? Uh, even though in the away end, obviously, because we were playing at their gap, I just remember it being an incredible moment. Um, and obviously, we went on to win on pens after that, didn't we? I think it was P. Nev that put the winning pen away, wasn't it? And st- stood there like he was um, Ronaldo <laughs> with his arms out, out wide, yeah. Incredible. The only time that, he'll that ever was stand when, there. Uh, yeah, that was that. when John Heisinger's shoulder bars actually called him. He walked oh, yeah, that was yeah. Yeah, that was No, but he, 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 just, he, he was just a majestic majestic player you know and, and really humble guy you you probably like alluded to it the fact that he was an introvert yeah probably was I've been to a few different things with him little talks things like that and he, he just seems just like a really normal lad yeah you know I mean it's a lad that could be anybody's mate um, he doesn't take things too seriously 
Um, you know, you see him just walking around the city occasionally with his Leica camera, just taking pictures. You know what I mean? Stopping off and having a little espresso and carrying on again. You know what I mean? He's just like, he's just, he's just a really, you know, been a great player for us. And you know, like I said before, I just hope he percentages does stay on uh, in some capacity and becomes part of the coaching staff or certainly earns his badges. As he's done his badges, you know. Not that I've heard of, no, no, not that I've heard of. But you wouldn't he know what with him if I say. He might not even go into football. He's, he, he's that type of guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. We start a band. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be the, I'll be the better the band on the side of the stage in the maracas. That'll be, that'll be me. <laughs> but, that, but no, he's just, he's just as I say, he's not like him more than footballer. Is he? As I say, he just shuns a limelight. He gets on with his life. He loves his photography. He's often, often seen down, down bowls, seating. Uh, frequenting the cafes down there and things like that, and he knocks around with Tom Davis. Doesn't need, you know, they're they're quite good, good friends and that. But I think, you know, my my one of my favourite memories, the sort of cover one which hasn't been covered, was when he took that pen against Man U in the semi final 2009 shootout at Wembley, and he just pinged it in the top of the top of the net. Was it was it was it Clyde Hills on commentary? He just went bang, and that was that. You know, and, and Leighton Baines then just sucked away as Leighton Baines does. You know, no pressure. Top of the net, and 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 that was the end of that. And that 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 for me just epitomises what he was all about. Was he world class? hundred percent. Should he have got more England claps, uh, caps? Of course he should have done. Should should he have won more in his career? Most definitely. But what I would say is probably the one of the most loyal footballers you're ever likely to meet. Max, you mentioned you know he could have gone anywhere. He could have gone Chelsea, United, Arsenal, those kinds of sides. He would challenge him. For things year in year out, he could have gone to Bayern Munich. He was linked linked with them for a while as well, and and he decided he'd stay with us. Obviously, believed in in what we were doing, but also he was probably comfortable at Everton and enjoyed the surroundings and, and, and enjoyed enjoyed the club. But it's a it's yeah, a that, massive that, that loss for us. That deserves to be mentioned. The loyalty, mate, massively deserves to be mentioned because when Moyes was there, they did everything to get him, didn't they? Absolutely yeah. everything to try and get him. And, you know, if rumours are to be, to be believed, he did give it. You know, he did give it a, a hard think about it as well. He didn't just read, but he, even his professionalism at the time wasn't he? His, his performance levels never dropped. You know what I mean? Um, and um, you know, it's, it's just a shame, like you said, we just couldn't win something for him uh, to really get that notoriety. I think uh, with England, we just or Eng- England just didn't play the way that suited him. Really, I mean, if you watch his link up with. With um with Pinar, Pinar was always looking to create an angle to create little one twos, little overlaps, underlaps. You know, whenever he played for England, players just ran away from him. He'd give it to Sterling, he just run off. Sterling wasn't looking to play a little rebound pass or play a little cute ball inside the fullback. He wasn't that type of player. You know what I mean? And 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 it, when did you ever see him get into the final third for England, whipping crosses in? Is that you hardly ever saw that, did you? Well, we and spoke about it on the, on the pod before, haven't we? Majority of Leighton Baines' England caps came from that period of time where. We didn't play with a natural left-sided player, did we? They were trying to right. get uh, Lampard, Gerrard, and Scholes all into that last, team. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Cole got into that team because he was a better defender. Um, yeah. We, we, yeah. They didn't, didn't want anyone bombing on on the left-hand side. They want someone, pin, you know, pinned back, waiting for the, uh, the counter-attack. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, and then latterly, obviously, with Sterling coming through a little bit as well. I just, I just think, yeah, they never played to his strengths there because you know his, his assist record says it all, and that's not just all from set pieces. Whenever he got in the box, he just—he hardly ever just whipped it in. You know, he put a lot of low crosses in. You know, you see the likes of City score goals like that all the time. He was always picking people out, wasn't he? He always lifted his head. He was, like I said, he was an intelligent footballer. 
So, you know, he used to just pick people out in the box. He didn't just whip it in for the sake of it. Um, so, look, good luck to him in his, in, his, in his retirement. And, you know, hopefully we'll see him again. Of course, give us a headache, hasn't it, for the, win, for the uh, transfer window? Because briefly, um, we, we brought in the kid in from Marseille. Um, Niels and Kunku's come in, but I, I don't think he's going to be any, anywhere near the first team next year. The idea was to let him be on for the season, let, let the young kid maybe have, have a loan, um, get it obviously established in, in this country, understand what football's all about in, in England and the start of the play, etc. Um, maybe now we might have to be fast-tracked, maybe as Luca Dean's understudy. Um, but we might have to dip into the, the transfer market and, and get a, an understudy left back at some point. Again, not, probably a headache that Marcel Branson and Carl Ansotti didn't want. But Leighton Baines is there to go out when he wants to go out. And, and we can at least, obviously, give him the, the, uh, that opportunity to leave the club you know, on, a, on his own terms and, and wish him nothing but the, the best of luck and whatever, whatever he wants to do. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna end this week's show on a, on a little bit of a, a look back on on this season in terms of you know it's, it's a season that, that that promised plenty. We we started the season with Marco Silva as manager. We, we were all talking about you know qualifying for Europe, and you know we, we thought we did okay in the transfer market, etc. And we were, you know can see us kicking on. Um, it didn't happen. It was a season probably of more lows and highs, but. I'll, I'll I'll ask you all, and I'll come to you to you, Max, first of all, if I may. What are your What are your highs from this season? Have, have we got any highs? Can we discuss any highs? Highs from this season. For me, I don't see I don't see this sort of getting mentioned in a in on of the the highs of the season. I'm sure you guys will sort of tick the boxes when when you when it gets to you. But for me, when we announced the signing on Moyes Keane. I felt I, I felt a real sort of shift in um, just a sort of again maybe come back to the point that we seem to be a, a generally negative fan base, but it seemed to provide a real positive wave over the uh, over the fan base in that we've sort of we've ident- identified a real hot prospect. Um, not only are we in the running for him, but you know he's, he's willingly come for us. With Marcel Brands as director of football, we managed to get you know a really good deal at the time. I think it was what between 27 and 30 million. Um, five year deal, which I know some people may poke holes with, but you know, to get someone so sort of raw, what is he like 18, 19, and for him to come to this country, it's going to take time. Don't get me wrong, I think we've, we've seen this season, you know, it's not all been it. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't hit the ground running, it has been a sort of Stunted progression, but for me, I mean, obviously the, the season as a whole didn't go to plan. But I think, as a project, that was a real high point for Everton Football Club this season in terms of the players that we can attract. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Peter? Moise Keane, Lee's mentioned already that he, he hasn't set the word light. Of course, he hasn't. And you know, we we haven't seen a great deal of Moise Keane. He had obviously a, a really poor time. Under, under Big Dunk, you could argue that time at, at Old Trafford where he was put on and brought off and there was question marks over his future. But what, what are your thoughts on Keane? Because when, when he came in, we all got carried away, didn't we? We, we made shirts and sold shirts and all sorts with, with Moise Keane's face on. So we, we were pulled along, weren't we, as well? I, I still think he shows a, a huge amount of promise. I mean, we've not seen a lot of him in terms of appearances or 
um, you know, or goals. But you know, he's he's off the mark, and I, I think I've seen enough to see that he's, he's got some real talent. Um, you know, he can really hit a ball. He's he's clearly technically extremely skilled. But you know, I think people have got to bear in mind he's he's lived his whole life in Italy, never played football in another country, never lived in another country. You know, spoke very little English. This you know, this is a young lad that's you know had to come over and try and um, really kickstart his career. Um, you know, he's left his boyhood club in in Juve. I mean, it's it's massive. So I I would hope that the way we try to manage him, and I think the way Ancelotti's tried to manage him, is just to take a bit of pressure off him. And I, I was delighted to see him start today, and he, he he did. He looked he looked like he had a bit of a weight off his shoulders. He looked fresh. I thought he didn't just hold the ball up well, but he generally kept it high up the pitch. He kept the ball. Um, didn't look frightened, you know, of, of of the opposition. Had the confidence to go past people. So I, I, uh, I think he'll surprise some people next season. Um, and look, if we've got him on the bench, you know, hungry and fit, and feeling part of the squad, you know, that's uh, you know, that's a fantastic problem for us to have, isn't it? Do you think he, he can kick on Lee? You know, based on you know, like like we said, we haven't seen a great deal of Moise Keane. He's at his highs. He's at, you know, the Newcastle goal was probably. One of my favourite moments of this season when he scored, you know, it was one of those moments where the kid was being willed to score week in, week out, and, and he looked great that game, didn't he? And um, you know, it was it was great to see him score a goal. Do, do you think that he can he can kick on next season and, and become a bigger part of the side and and take us to, to that next level? I think potentially, yeah. I think there's no doubt the kid's got ability. Um, I think Carlo's the right guy to, to probably be managing him now. Obviously, a fellow Italian who understands obviously Italian football inside out, especially young players coming through. Um, yeah, I think you you have to take into account his age, and also you have to take into account a lot of players that come from Serie A don't instantly settle into the Premier League. It's a completely different style of football. A lot, it's a lot more tactical there, a lot slower build and fast in the final third. Um, you know, he's had to get used to that. He's been bullied a lot by some defenders. Um, but today, I thought he really showed me today in that little cameo that he had 60 minutes. You know, that, yeah, he could he could actually be something for for his next season, definitely. Um, and, 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 you know, Calvert-Lewin's kept him out the side. And at times, rightly so, this season, Calvert-Lewin's been brilliant. You know, he struggled since the lockdown's finished. But overall, you would say it's been a successful season in terms of his returns in, in, in a, in inherently poor team really uh, Calvert-Lewin's goal goal return this season but um, yeah I do hope he does I do hope we you know we can keep him long enough so he can he can fulfil his talent with us and that's the key because um, you probably won't see the best of him obviously until a few years now's the time where you need a bit of patience for him and like I said I'm glad he got his goal today that will have lifted him a little bit um, you know so we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see obviously the jury's still out a little bit whether he can settle into this style of style of football but He's certainly got the talent. Um, and, you know, it's just a case of watch this space, isn't it? I think he's been guilty of being a bit wild as well in front of goals at times this year. He's almost, almost tried too hard, hasn't he? Every time he's got a bit of space, he's looked to shift it and just bang it as hard as he could rather than maybe trying to sort of slot, slot balls a bit more and that sort of thing. So, look, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But, you know, I do hope, I do hope we can keep him. We do get the best out of him uh, next season. One thing that we mentioned there, obviously, was a, a low part of the season for him was obviously the United game at Old Trafford when he comes on and gets taken off by a big dunk. But in terms of a high, what I want to bring up, and I'm, I'm sure we're all in agreement. So, yeah, one of the high points of the season was was probably when, well, big dunk's first game against Chelsea when he, when he comes in to take over 
caretaker charge and you, you think back to what Goodison Park was like on that particular day and obviously then Carlo comes in soon after so there's a couple of high points there but if we just cover Big Dunk first of all what a you know, I remember thinking back at the time, a lot of talk about Unsworth maybe getting the, the, the job again for a few games and, and things like that. And it didn't f- fulfill you with a lot of lot of confidence. We needed someone to galvanise that squad and bring us together. And if one man was going to do that, it was Duncan Ferguson. And, and thinking back to that, that Chelsea game, you know, really, really good early goal, which would set the place alight with, with Richarlison uh, from a Sadibi cross with the header. And then obviously seeing big dunk with the ball boys and you know, Calvert Lewin knocks in two after not really doing much for for the first few months of the season, and and you you felt a little bit of a shift there in momentum in terms of you know the, the club as a whole, and, and we thought you know what with this side we we can kick on. Um, but what what thinking back to to that game, Max, what what do you remember from from when Big Dunk came in? It was it was a real emotional game and an emotional time, wasn't it? Yeah, most definitely, and. It was one of those real sort of throwback performances in that we reverted to a to a four four two system and I think it it's been repeated by several people now in that that performance alone you couldn't have a group of players turning in that style of performance week in, week out, because you'd have you know, you'd have an injury list as long as you'd have the players, you know, after I think after sort of Several managerial appointments. It did get to the point where you know the the job as a manager was a sort of real hot seat, in that no one could real sort could really make it their own. And how how Dunk come in uh, and sort of instilled the passion again that had seemed to be seemed to have been a miss for quite a while. Um, obviously, pairing Calvert Lewin and, and Richarlison up front for the first time, which. Again, it's something that we're reaping the rewards of now. Um, yeah, most definitely, it was a it was a real catalyst for the uh, the more positive aspects of this season. Pete, that that high point for you, seeing a big dunk from looking down the uh, the touchline like a lunatic. Yeah, it's it's probably the the moment of the season for me that I'll I'll remember most. It's definitely my my highest point, I think, for us. Um, I, I think I was. You know, really pleased for Big Dunk personally as well. I can remember us talking about it on the pod at the time that there'd been all these weird shouts, hadn't there, on social media? What does he do? What does he do? All of this nonsense. And uh, you know, like <laughs> like Max said, then he, you know, he had a bit of tactical now. So he showed not just in the Chelsea game, but in the games that followed as well. Um, that th- he is a football coach. He is a football man. He does know what he's doing, and he managed to get such a, you know an amazing response from a, a group of players who have been underperforming for Marco Silva. Um, and it was sort of the moment in the season where everyone was reunited again. Um, I think, you know, f- fans and players, and uh, it's, it's always nice to stick three goals past Chelsea. Yeah. And, and, and Lee, I'll, I'll come to you because we, we discussed briefly before we started recording. Part of that of big dunk game was was that Leicester Cup game, wasn't it? At Goodison, the, the Carabao Cup, which unfortunately we lost on on pens. But one of the high points of, of big dunk's time as caretaker manager, and of the season was was when a certain Leighton Baines popped up with that absolute belter from about twenty twenty five yards in the in the in stoppage time, and that that was a real you know at the time I remember being in the uh, in the Gladys Street 
uh, with with Isabel with, with my daughter, and, and I've never I haven't seen it like that. That was that was her first. I said at the time on the podcast that was her first limbs moment, should we say? In terms, it was just arms, legs, flags everywhere. You know, I'm sure someone rolled about three three rows past me. It was just incredible when when Leighton Baines scored. But that was a real a real high point, and again, full of emotion, wasn't it? Yeah, massively. I think I mentioned to you that before, yeah, when we spoke. I think that was probably the last limbs moment at Goodison, wasn't it? This season, yeah. obviously, before the lockdown as well. Um, and it was such a shame we didn't go on to win that. We created more than enough to win that game. Mina missed two absolute howlers with his head before that as well. Um, and, you know, we, we deserved to go through that day. Uh, and it was such a shame we didn't because, you know, obviously we'd have got through to a semi and, and you know, anything could have happened after that. But, um yeah, I think Dunk's got to be the highlight. He, he, for me, he gave us our identity back uh, as a fan base, and and then you know we we were all obviously in in the silver camp really in terms that we were quite sad to see him go. Uh, there was obviously you know more than one reason why he left, and it was the right time to go in the end really. But um, you know if you consider the way we finished last season, we were all going into this season with a load of optimism. Uh, like like we said, we we managed to attract the likes of Keane, and we brought you know we, we'd improved in certain areas, and we were all thinking, yeah, this we can really mount a European re, European push, and it's been far from that. It's been such a weird season overall, um, and then to compound it, those like over the park have obviously won the league as well, which has done my head and even more. But um, but you know, it's, <laughs> the disgust on Pete's face when you mentioned that, by the way. I know, I know, <laughs> but no, I just think. It's just been a, a very strange season, isn't it? I mean, you know, in more ways than one in terms of where we find ourselves now. Um, but, you know, let, let, let's see. I mean, I'm, I'm glad Duncan has stuck around. I totally agree with Pete. The amount of stupid shouts that were thrown around saying he's been under Allardyce, he's been under Martinez, he's been under Silva now. What does he do? What does he do? He's, he's a failure. Get rid of him. You know, there's probably no one that loves the club more than him. You know, I mean, he absolutely loves the football club. Uh, and he has got a bit of nous as well, you know. So, and, and what an apprenticeship this is for him. He may end up taking over from Carlo, you know, by the time we move into the new stadium. He may, he may end up taking over from him in that period. And there's not many managers in the world you'd want to work under uh, other than him. So, yeah, that probably was the highlight of, of, of very few highlights across the season. But that was certainly one of them. Uh, and obviously, the Baines one, like you mentioned, uh, was another one. But, um, I know you're going to mention the lows now as well. Uh, well, what, 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 what I want to say first of all is I think another, oh. another high sort of, if we're looking at the longer term project, it's got to be the appointment of Ancelotti, hasn't it? You know, oh, of course, when, yeah. Of course. When, when Carlo comes in and he's sitting in the stand against Arsenal for the big dunks final game and he's, he's standing uh, next to Mishiri and Bill Kenwright and, and he just says, wow, when he hears the, the noise. And, and you just think, you know, we've got a world-class manager there sitting, waiting to take over the reins. You know, people were attacking his plane coming into the uh, coming into the airport as per usual, um, and it, it was a bit of a surreal moment to see Carlo Ancelotti Everton manager. Um, and you know, yeah, things haven't gone. You know, we, we could have arguably have pushed for Europe, of course we could, um, but that hasn't happened. I think the beauty of, of having him in is one, he attracts players going forward. Um, he, he works out what players don't want to be there. More importantly. Um, and I think it's put us in a really good position moving forward to, to Bramley Moor, which, again, they've mentioned it should get planned permission by October. But Carlo Ancelotti coming in is, is a massive statement. Even now, I think that regardless of where we finish this season, 
we will be looked at a little bit differently, I think, going forward. Um, and it can only stand us in, in, in good stead, I think, for the next sort of two or three seasons. And hopefully, Carlo can, can build a squad that's worthy of challenging for Europe, worthy of winning honours, more importantly, and worthy of, of running out in, in front of uh, 52,000 people at Bramley Mulldock. What, what are your thoughts, Max, on, on Carlo? Yeah, most definitely. I think that almost sort of similarly to the the announcements of San and Moise Keane, when we announced that we'd finally got Carlo Ancelotti in as Everton manager, it was one of those moments that really sort of increased the brand value of the football club. Um, I know that seemed to be a, a bit of a, a touchy subject for, for many football fans, saying that you know you should never refer to, to, to my club as a brand or, or whatever, but you know, when push comes to shove, at the end of the day, that that that's what we are. At, uh, you know, that's what the, the British British football industry is turned into now with it, with the Premier League. Is that you know, you need to make sure that your your brand value is appealing for these figures like Moise Keane, like Carlo Ancelotti, to want to get involved in the project and to get him appointed as Everton manager. Yeah, finally, as I said, you know, obviously for so long we were built a. For, for me at least being a, a late 90s baby we would seem to to be a real stable club under the under the guidance of David Moyes and it was quite strange to to see the the job as my Everton manager become quite like a, a revolving door in a sense in that you know people would come in and, and just fail quite frankly and to have someone uh, as prestigious and as accomplished as Carlo Ancelotti come into our club now um Looks like he's going to be here for, for several years to come. Um, yeah, in terms of managerial appointments, there, there are a few better to to get us to where we want to be and where we rightly should be. And it's it's you know it's, it's totally totally true. And you, you mentioned brand value there, but it's a massive part of, of modern day football. And you know, people have got to sort of realise that when it comes to selling the club and, and a club being attractive and, and selling the club worldwide as well. You've got to have a good value and, and Carlo certainly certainly brings that. But without further ado, we're going to have to end the show unfortunately on, on lows. Um, and there's been many, many lows this season. I could sit here probably for the next three hours and discuss lows from this season. That, that's, there's been that many games and incidents and what have you. But I'll come to you firstly because I know you were dying to get in, in, involved there with the lows. You preempted where we were going with this. But What's what's been your real low points of of, uh, of this season? I just wanted to mention there while you mentioned Carlo coming to the stadium, that was an amazing moment. He just walks in, uh, obviously with his son David as well. It looked like Don Corleone and Michael from The Godfather walking walk <laughs> into the main walking into the main stand. Uh, that was an incredible moment. Actually, now you've mentioned it, um, but you know, in terms of lows, there's been absolutely plenty in there. And I just think. Um, from the Norwich loss, which was ridiculous, um, you know, I know obviously they beat City as well, but I mean that 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 was the beginning of the end for Silver, wasn't it? And then we went obviously to Anfield, um, and stupidly really played with the high line and got absolutely annihilated in five two. Um, that it was that was a sad day, wasn't it? Not only obviously horrendous to lose your your rivals in such a manner. Yeah, in a quite bizarre game, isn't it? Because it could have easily been four-four in another in another dimension that could have happened. But that, for me, unfortunately, sums Silver up. And I think Mashiri said it himself. 
you know, you can be a, a, an exceptional general, but you can also be an unlucky general. And he was certainly unlucky with us, unlucky with injuries, unlucky with obviously, uh, you know, some some of the VAR decisions. I know we'll touch on that in terms of the low points of the season. I think VAR, VAR this season has been an absolute catastrophe. Um, you know, we've we've been on the receiving end uh, of some of those. Um, you know, I would say the Brighton game as well was one of the lowest points. Um, you know, we went there and actually turned up that day and played played well for 80 minutes, and then it, and then got absolutely robbed for a, a shocking decision when Michael Keane just stood on someone's foot. Um, so really, if you're going to sum up the yeah, the lows, I would say obviously the Anfield game most certainly, Silver going not long after that, uh, VAR as a whole, um, I would say they were the the worst moments for me this season. What, what, what do you think, Pete? Do you think the, the 5-2 in the league was worse than the 1-0 in the FA Cup and, and Curtis Jones scoring that goal? Because that, cause that for me, that, that for me was just unforgivable. More, more, you sort of knew for what, what, what you're expecting, I think, with, with Marco Silva going to Anfield, unfortunately. And I've been here the last couple of seasons now and, and, and stood there and just thought, you know, what is, what is this? You know, we... we we saw what happened with Jordan Pickford the previous season when we were we, we played arguably quite well and um, we can see that last minute goal. So another example of, of the ridiculous day. And then we went there and got absolutely battered. But like Lee said, it could have been it could have been four all. Moise Keane goes through at one point and, and Van Dyke shouts and puts him off and he puts the ball wide. And but the one in the FA Cup for me really really sort of sits sort of at the at the, at the front of my mind. Uh, which one for you is worse? Yeah, well, to be honest, I was going to try and avoid bringing all of them up, but you, <laughs> <laughs> you lads have gone for the jugular today. Um, it's the one nil for me. I think that was the mo- that was the most disappointing because, you know, at least in the in the five two, there was a there was a sniff of um, of a performance. Um, whereas in the one nil, it was just it was limp and it was a psychological defeat. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that was the most disappointing thing. Um, you know, never mind all the rest of it. I was going to go for the Goodison Cat myself as uh, as the lower of the season, but <laughs> uh, I mean, on the pitch, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go for the the one nil off off the pitch though. My my low would just be the the coronavirus. I know it's it might sound like a daft thing to say in hindsight, but I truly believe that. If um, we would have had the benefit of the fans, I do think we'd be higher up the table. I really do. Um, I know you're fair enough. Every football club could say that, but um, in the case of Everton, I know I really believe that if we had fans at the game, we would uh, we would performed a lot better than we have. I think you're right there, Peter. And I think a game like today against Bournemouth, I don't think the fans would have allowed us to to play that way and not play with with that you know uh, with the energy that we should be playing with etc because we we said you know we said for a while now since we've come back some players might benefit I think Michael Keane probably benefited from having no crowd and no one giving them grief but I think as a whole I think Everton we there's a reliance there in certain games for for the crowd to really pull them through certain games and with us with the issues that we've got with certain personnel and not you know like we said already, you know, certain players not not fitting into a formation, the, the crowd really really does help. And I think bringing up obviously the 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 still ongoing global pandemic, it's it's been a such a strange season, and and definitely you know of course it's been a huge huge uh, negative on society as a whole. Never mind football and sport etc. But it's definitely something to, that needs to be 
to be spoken about and, and certainly considered as, as a negative. Um, what, what are your thoughts, Max, in terms of the, the negative aspects of this season? As I say, I'm sure we could talk for another two or three hours about this, but yeah, give, us, give us one. Well, uh, I, I would agree in that. Uh, the, the, the number one lower the season was the, the FA Cup exit. But for me, the, the biggest low, which really sort of capped our potential as to what we could achieve, was the Dominic Calvert-Lewin disallowed goal against Manchester United, which was overturned for for absolutely bizarre reasoning. And I mean, you could go either way. You could even say the, the two-all draw against Newcastle, which seemed virtually impossible at the start of the 90 minutes. But, you know, we have been subject to some bizarre refereeing decisions. And uh, I go as far as to say is the, the quality of refereeing and officiating in the country is, is nowhere near the standard as it should be. Um, but yeah, I think that has proved costly for us this season. We could sit here, couldn't we, discuss VAR at length. I mean, you, know, you and Lee have mentioned that, and there's been so many decisions. You could even say today that they didn't even go back and look at this properly, but there was a blatant handball for me, which should have been an Everton penalty by a Bournemouth player. Um, and straight away, commentary, oh, yeah, yeah, not, you could not love that. And quite clearly to me, it was a Stonewall penalty, but. I think you know the, the likes of the, the, the Brighton one with VAR. That was that was definitely definitely a low aspect. But like you said, real pivotal game here against Man United, um, and we've seen a goal since we've come back. Uh, it was at Tottenham, a very very similar goal, and and it was allowed for them. And you, the, the massive thing with with VAR, you know, the, the inconsistency for a system that's been brought in to basically. Make uh, refereeing one that little bit more easier, but a little bit more transparent as well. And it's gone the other way, hasn't it? We we, we don't even see um, the the cameras aren't even in in Stockley Park anymore. From I've not seen anything since we've come back. Sort of shows that the three fellas sitting there, spaced out watching watching screen. So I don't know who's who's making the decisions now, and if anyone's even there. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if it's just all being being made up by by a computer, but definitely, definitely a negative. And you know, it's 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 a shame yet again that something's being brought in, and and it just quite clearly is not not fit for purpose. And as per usual, we were on the end of a number of those incorrect decisions that that should have been uh, should have been awarded in our favour. But it's it's definitely a season, not so much to forget because it's a season of evolution. To, to use Carlo's words, um, we, we've brought in a top-class manager. We're hopefully going to ship out a lot of players that don't deserve to be at the club. Um, and it's, it's going to be a pivotal sort of three years now as we move towards family more. And hopefully, as I said, we're going to have a side that, that fits Bill and deserves to run out in front of, in front of hopefully, at that point, uh, 52,000 fans on the on the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey. But that brings us to the end of, of this week's show, Max. Really appreciate you coming on the show, mate. Been a pleasure. Yeah, mate. Thanks very much coming on, pal. It's uh, it's been a good a good chat to end the disappointing season. Um, we will be back over the course of the summer uh, to to bring you some some uh, some podcasts in regards to transfers, etc. And hopefully with a bit of a bit of positive news in regards to who's coming in, who's going out, and I'm sure at, at some point we, we will uh, have have many, many changes at, uh, at Finch Farm. So stick with us and, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you over the course of the next seven weeks.
the Unholy Trinity podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.